Hello and welcome to Timeless Truths, a sermon podcast from St. Mark Ministries in Greater Green Bay, Wisconsin. This week we continue our series, Thriving in a Time of Crisis. In episode six, let's join Minister Brandon Steenbach as we learn what's missing in marriage and family. So open up your heart, open up your Bible, and let's dig in to these timeless truths. Around the start of the 20th century, the Times of London wanted to write an article series under the theme, What is Wrong with the World Today? So among other well-known figures, one of the people they asked to submit an article was Christian novelist and philosopher G.K. Chesterton. Chesterton had a very interesting response to the Times of London when he received this request. I'm going to tell you what that response is, but before I do, I want to know, how would you answer that question? What is wrong with the world today? As I mentioned, we're going to be looking at marriage today, and especially regarding marriage. What would you say is wrong with the world today? There's, is, it, is it wokeism? Or is it maybe the other side of the, the spectrum, traditionalism, that's the problem? Is it the younger generations, whoever that would be in your mind? Or is it the older generations, whoever that is to you? Or is it just social media that's to blame? What's wrong with the world today? There's no doubt that there's something wrong. Last year in America, there were over 700,000 divorces. 700,000 homes were broken apart. In fact, as of this last year, over half of Americans under the age of 30 have grown up in a broken home. There are more Americans who have cohabited, that has lived together outside of marriage with a romantic partner, than there are Americans who have ever been married. And while people sometimes will say, well, cohabitation is a great way for us to test marriage out, you know, to kind of find out if we're compatible, compatible before we get married. The fact is that living together before you're married actually leads to greater loneliness, more likelihood of breakup or divorce than just get married, and then live together. Majority of Americans today think that marriage is a good thing, but that it's not necessary for a fulfilling life, that it's an ideal only to be achieved after you've got your education, your career, your financial stability, a down payment for a house, the ability to fund an independent lifestyle. This has kind of led to the fact that now weddings today cost five times as much as they did just three decades ago, which makes it feel almost out of reach for a lot of young couples today. The fact is, many people have simply given up on marriage. And for those who haven't given up on marriage, many have just simply redefined it. Marry whoever you want to marry. Do what you want to do. Love is love, right? Same-sex marriage has been ruled into law. Polyamory, which was once considered taboo, is now celebrated on social media. We even hear stories about people wanting to marry their pets or themselves. What's wrong with the world today? And we can't really answer that question unless we know what's right, right? Because in a world with no standards of right and wrong, all of those things might just seem like, well, they're just fine. Who cares? You do you. But if we want to be able to say, well, what is actually right, we have to turn to the one who's already told us what is right, who's already given an answer, who has made a standard for us, and that's God. And so we're going to look at what God's word has to say about his design, his purpose for marriage. 
And it starts really in Genesis chapter 1 where God makes human beings. He tells us why he made human beings, what human beings were made for, where he says that we're created in his image to rule the earth, to rule creation on his behalf, to be his co-rulers, his representative rule on earth. That's why we're made in his image. That's what it means to be made in his image. And central to his creation of humans in Genesis chapter 1 is this mention of male and female because it's like he's highlighting that our sexual difference, the difference between a man and a woman is important to what it means to be human. And he blesses humanity with the ability to be fruitful and multiply, he says, to make more humans. And that's also central to our function as image bearers. Now, that's not to say that every human being has to have children, but it's to say that we can't deny the importance of a man and a woman coming together sexually to create more humans as part of God's design for humanity. But, you know, of course, we look at the animal kingdom. They also do the same thing, right? What's the difference? Well, we're not animals. And our use of our sexuality is not just an animalistic instinct. It's not just for animalistic pleasure and propagation of the species. God created it for so much more than that. That is, that it it is the ultimate human expression of vulnerability, of trust, of oneness. And God designed marriage as the safe place for the expression of that vulnerability and trust. And oneness. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, where God institutes marriage. We read these verses before, so I'll just highlight some things as we go along. God had created everything, He made it good, He had given the man a job to do, and now He says there's something that's not done yet, it's not finished. The man is still alone. We got to fix that. So He says, I'm going to make a suitable helper for him. Suitable meaning somebody that's like Him, that He can relate to, He can have a relationship with her. And helper, somebody who's providing what he needs that he doesn't already have. Don't get hung up on that word helper. If you hear helper and you think, what, like like subservient, inferior? No. God uses the word helper for himself throughout Scripture. So there's nothing inferior or subservient about being a helper. It's just the idea is somebody who provides what is needed that the other person lacks. So God creates this woman, and don't miss the significance of the way that he creates her, the the method he uses. He doesn't get down in the dirt like he did with Adam and craft her out of the dirt and then breathe the breath of life. Instead, he takes a piece from Adam and makes, makes her out of that piece. But he doesn't take a piece from his head so that she's going to rule over him. He doesn't take a piece from his foot so that he's going to trample all over her. He takes a piece from his side, a rib, so that she'll be next to him as an equal to him, but from under his arms so that she'll be protected by him, from close to his heart so that she'll be loved by him. Oh, that was pretty romantic, wasn't it? You could cross-stitch that one. That wasn't me, okay? That was Martin Luther. You didn't know Luther had such a soft side, did you? But God creates this woman, he brings her to the man, he brings them together in marriage, and the man sings this song of celebration. Oh, she's awesome. He loves this. And then God makes a profound statement. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one. 
flesh. God is saying, this is why. This is why this happens in humanity. I started marriage in creation. That's the pattern. That's how it works from now on. And God sums that up in just a single sentence, but I'm just going to extrapolate a little bit for you. A man leaves his father and mother. Okay, that means he matures enough that he can leave, that he can grow up and get out and be in the world on his own. Then he unites to his wife. He chooses a lady and he says, she's the one for me. I'm with her for life. I'm going to marry her. And they get married. They unite. And then the two become one flesh. They come together in a sexual relationship. God's pattern, his process is grow up, get out, get a wife, then get in bed. Okay? That's the pattern. That's God's design and he designs it that way because the security of a loving selfless committed relationship makes a safe place for that kind of oneness that one flesh union that marriage brings that's highlighted by the last verse in the chapter where he says they were naked and they felt no shame that is they had nothing between them there was nothing to hide they didn't feel embarrassed to look at each other they were completely open fully known and fully loved Of course, that was a perfect world, and now sin is part of the picture for us. But marriage still provides an environment in which a man and a woman, a husband and wife, can be completely vulnerable with each other, can be completely known, fully known, fully loved with each other. This is God's design for marriage. But you know, every design needs a purpose. You don't design something for no reason. You design it for for a purpose, to accomplish something. And it's in Ephesians 5 that we see the purpose for which God designed marriage. God's instructions to husbands and wives get us along the way, and then Paul kind of sums it up with a very powerful statement. Let's take a look. First, I'm going to fast forward in the section to the husbands first, because really that's where the biggest responsibility is God calls husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church, he says, and gave himself up for her. Now, if you're a husband in the room, I want to ask you, are you willing to die for your wife? Would you take a bullet for her if you had to? I think most of us would probably say, well, yeah, yeah, I would. And I, I, I would say that too. But now let me ask you this. How many of you will live every day self-sacrificially for her? For example, if it would just bless her heart for you to do the dishes every day for the rest of your life, will you do the dishes every day for the rest of your life just to bless her? Some guys will look at that and go, "Uh, can I have the bullet? (laughs) (laughs) But the fact is you were called, husbands, to... Live every day selflessly for her good, for her joy, for her safety, for her fulfillment, to make her life one that is on the road to heaven, to be Jesus to your wife. That's God's call to you. Wives, you've also got a big calling. You're called to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. Now, I know some of you might go, whoa, wait a second here, submit? Was this one of those churches where, you know, women are supposed to submit to men? Actually, not really, not exactly, because I'm not saying that all women submit to all men. The Bible never says that. What it says is that wives are to submit to their husbands, but what does that even mean? Well, 
as we submit to Christ, what do we do? We trust his goodness. We believe that his leadership is good for us. We cooperate with that leadership because he's called us into mission with him. So we, we, we do what he asks and we put ourselves under his authority, trusting that he's going to be good to us. That's all submission is. And so God is calling wives to have the same attitude towards their husbands. I trust him. I know he's going to love me, that he's going to lead me well. He's going to do what's good for me. Now, if you can trust Jesus, if you can submit to Jesus, I would say you don't have a problem with submission at all. Submission's not the issue. It's, it's your husband that's the issue. You're not sure you can trust him to love you as well as Jesus loves you, to, to guide you as faithfully as Jesus will guide you. And if that's true, if you're saying, I'm not sure I can trust my husband, well, husband, first of all, that's another call to you. If your wife doesn't feel safe to submit to you, that's on you. And that means that you have work to do to make your wife safe submitting to you, to make sure that it's safe for her to carry out God's command. But wives, I I should just note, God doesn't say, wives, submit to a perfect husband. He just says, submit to your husband. And he's asking you to trust him that when you do, it's good for you. But this has to be done right. Husbands, if you ever say to your wife, you're supposed to submit to me, you're already on the wrong base, okay? When a husband lovingly cares for his wife, makes their home a safe place for her, builds her up, when she then says, I cooperate with this leadership, I trust him, I, I, I adore him, and together they create a beautiful picture, a picture of the love between Christ and the church, between God and his people. This is what marriage is for. And this is, by the way, one of the reasons why every other design the world comes up with for marriage, two men, two women, whatever other combination they can come up with just doesn't work. It doesn't fit because, well, who's, with two guys, who's, who's Christ and who's the church? With two women, who's Christ, who's the church? It doesn't fit. But uh, when it's done by God's design, with his original design, It shines the light of the gospel and marriage becomes a picture of the gospel. This is why Paul says, he quotes Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. In other words, this is a puzzle God placed into creation that can only be solved by God revealing it. And Paul reveals what it is, Christ and the church. Marriage was never about a man and a woman and their happiness. It was always about something bigger, a picture that points to something bigger. So if you can imagine with me for a moment, just imagine you're walking through a gallery. There's pictures and paintings and sculptures and carvings and all kinds of artwork in all mediums, all kinds of colors and backgrounds, each one unique and distinct. And yet, as you walk through the gallery, you can tell every single one of them illustrates the same thing. It points to the same subject, a man and a woman who adore each other. Every work of art is made by an artist to portray this one beautiful couple. Realize you already walk through that gallery. Every marriage you see is created by the creator to be a picture of God's love for his people and his people's love back for him. And that's why you don't have to be married to appreciate marriage. 
Because you don't have to be an artist to appreciate good art and to be moved by it. You don't have to be married to look at the married couples around you and say, they're a picture of God's love for me. They're a picture of the love that I'm called to with God. I want to be thankful for that. I want to praise God for that. I want to support that and pray for that. And, And ultimately, to say, my life is really tied up in a marriage, not a human marriage, but the marriage of God and his people, the eternal marriage of Christ and the church, which is what scripture speaks of from start to finish. The beginning of the Bible is a marriage. The end of the Bible, the last chapter, is the marriage feast of the Lamb. Scripture begins and ends with a wedding and it's woven all throughout. Scripture is about marriage because marriage points to the gospel. But there's a problem. Fellow Christians, we have a problem. See, here's the issue. We're supposed to be presenting Christ and his church to the world, but we have failed. We have not done this well. We've failed in some pretty big ways. For example, uh, the divorce rate among Christians is almost identical to that of the divorce rate among the rest of the world. The cohabitation rate among Christians is almost identical to that of the cohabitation rate among the rest of the world. When it comes to our use of our sexuality, addiction to pornography, tendency towards sexual affairs, by some reports, is worse among Christians than among the rest of the world. And abuse is just as frequent in Christian households as it is in non-Christian households. Those are the big ways, but we failed in small ways too. Husbands, if we're called to love and serve and lead our wives, do you do that very well? Or do you let your work, your hobbies, your interests take priority, take precedence over the good of your wife? Do you, by forgetfulness or laziness, set aside your call to spiritually lead her, to intentionally love her, to passionately romance her? I know for myself, I've failed in this. I mean, I look at my agenda for a day. Most days I've got a lot of things on my agenda And many days, none of those things include make sure Nikki knows she's the most important woman in the world. I fail. Wives, your standard is to cooperate fully with your husband's leadership, to support and encourage him, to to respect him and to see him as God's gift to you. But you have this long list of to-dos, things that need to get done. And they may be good things. They may be good to get them done. But where does your husband figure into them other than somebody to help you knock the items off the list? Maybe you've got kids and you're very concerned with making sure your kids have everything they could possibly want or need. But what about your husband? Does he feel neglected? There's a joke that mom is the boss of the house, right? But when you think about God's design, is that really so funny? Now, single folks, I'm not going to let you off the hook because I I hear the grumbling sometimes. You know, we'll put out a marriage program and I hear somebody say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not married. Hey, we can talk about whether or not we're getting the right balance of treating, you know, caring for single people versus married people. That's a fine conversation to have. But if you're grumbling about that, you're upset that we're offering support to marriages, maybe you've missed the point. Maybe you've forgotten that it's important for you to also pray for and celebrate the marriages around you. I told you I was going to tell you what 
Chesterton had to say in response to the Times of London when they said, what's wrong with the world today? Here was his response. Dear sirs, he wrote, in regards to your query, what is wrong with the world today? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Because he understood that we can't point the finger of blame out there. They're the problem. Them, it's they, they're the problem until we do the hard work of pointing inside and saying, we're, we're the problem. We have failed how can we expect the world to uphold biblical marriage when even we don't? But you know, our failure is not the end of the story. Marriage can only point to the gospel because there is a gospel for marriage to point to. Or to put it another way, marriage is about the gospel because the gospel is real. God's faithful love given to us in Jesus is where marriage finds its true meaning. So marriage ultimately points to the union of God and his people, it reflects that self-giving, selfless love of God. God calls husbands to faithfully love and serve and lead their wives only because he's already faithfully loved and served and led us. Look again at Ephesians 5 and see what he's done for us. Through Christ, he has washed us, made us clean, presented us to himself as a radiant church, no stain or wrinkle, no blemish, but holy and blameless. It's not that Jesus looked at you and said, well, you're so beautiful and worthy, I need to have you. Instead, he looked at you and said, I'm gonna make you beautiful, I'm gonna make you worthy because I want to be with you. And so he has made us clean for himself. And God calls wives into loving cooperation with their husbands only because he's already called all of us into cooperation with himself, into this kingdom, into this movement where we preach the gospel with our lives. We've been called into this beautiful relationship with a Savior who loves us completely, provides everything we could need, and promises us eternity in peace and joy with him. And he doesn't look at you based on your failure. He doesn't look at you based on the wrong you've done. You think that maybe you have sins in your past that leave you stained and ashamed and Jesus sees you in radiant white that he has put on you. You think that your broken relationships and shattered promises have left you broken. Jesus has made you whole and called you to himself. Does it seem like there are a lot of messages out there that say that your singleness means that you are unwanted, undesirable, or just maybe doing it wrong. Jesus says, no, I want you. I desire to be with you. Do you feel like the mistakes or missteps or failures in your own marriage have left your marriage a humdrum, a shamble, dead? Jesus rose from the dead. He's gonna raise you from the dead. He can help you with your marriage. Maybe you just feel like that broken relationship that's far in the past irreparably gone. Defines you? No. There's one relationship that defines you and that's the relationship you have with Jesus. So, wherever you sit today, marriage, the marriage of Christ and the church and every marriage around you preaches the goodness of God and his love, his faithful love. And so now what do you do? What's your next step? Well, it's to make marriage a mission to preach the gospel. Now, I'm gonna speak first to the singles in the room. 
two pieces of advice. Number one, don't buy the lie that marriage has nothing to do with you just because you're single. Your life has to do with a marriage, not a human one, an eternal one. But every marriage around you is a good one, so pray for them, support them, and encourage them. Number two, if you hope to be married someday, don't expect that to give you your happiness. Marriage, actually, those of us who are married will tell you, doesn't always make you all that happy. But it's good. And it's a mission that God gives. And so if you want to be a part of it, then pray to be a part of the mission God has given you. Now, if you are in the not yet married, but soon to be married, you're working on it, you're in a relationship, you're looking forward to it. First of all, if you're already living together, you're already sleeping together, the Bible has one word for you, stop. (laughs) Okay, I know that's easier said than done. But God says that's not the right order and it's not going to give you the happiness or the holiness that you desire. So take a step back from what the world says you should do and instead take a step of faith and do what God says. If he says this is the way, do it his way. But you might need to take a few steps of getting yourself in order. Maybe you've got to mature a little bit. Maybe you need to make a commitment. But if you are patiently waiting, or maybe not so patiently, but you're still waiting, and you're like, hey, we're abstaining, it's all good, then keep your focus on the gospel. Keep pointing your spouse to be to the gospel. Make that the center of what you're going to do. And if you're already married, you probably have the most work to do, honestly. Maybe that's work for yourself. You got to get into counseling. Get a mentor. Find somebody to help you to take the good marriage you have and make it great or the difficult marriage you have and make it better or the feels dead marriage and bring it back to life. Find some resources. Get a good book. Actually, we want to give you a good resource. Uh, We have this book for sale out here on our Connect Center. I love this book. It's called See Through Marriage by Ryan and Selena Frederick. It's all about experiencing the freedom and joy of being fully known and fully loved. They put the gospel at the center of marriage in this book. I loved this book so much, I went out and I bought a whole case so that you could get your hands on a copy this morning as you leave church. I got such a good deal on that case that you get it for just five dollars, five five bucks. That's not bad, huh? There's a bunch of copies out there at the Connect Center. Stop by there, pick one up on your way out. Now maybe you're in a strong place You're feeling like, hey, no, my marriage is pretty rock solid. Okay, that's good. Now make your marriage the mission. Go and find somebody who needs you. Be a mentor to somebody else. Or buy a copy of the book. Put it in somebody's hands. Point somebody to a resource. Let your marriage shine a light to those around you. And there's something wrong with the world today, but if we want to solve that problem, if we want to make an impact, it has to start here in our hearts, it has to start in our homes, it has to start right here in this room. It has to start with us making the gospel the center of our lives, our homes, our marriages. To celebrate marriage as a picture of the gospel and take the next step, whatever that might be, in faith, knowing that your faithful God faithfully loves you forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Timeless Truths. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we're glad you could join us. For more information or to support the work of St. Mark Ministries, check out our website at stmarkministries.com. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue our series, Thriving in a Time of Crisis. And remember, you matter and you are loved.